Today, on this very special episode of H2OMG, we take a trip to the Water University at Texas A&M AgriLife Research and Extension Center to talk to horticulturalist Patrick Dickinson. Patrick and the rest of our friends at the Water University are the ones who teach our water-saving seminars. If you've never been to a water-saving seminar, you really should check it out. They happen once a month from March to November, and they all take place at the Botanical Research Institute here in Fort Worth. They're absolutely free and will inform you on a variety of interesting topics related to water conservation and gardening. For example, this year's first water saving seminar, Birds, Bees, and Butterflies, Gardening for Wildlife, is taking place on March 14th. A full schedule, as well as information on how to register, can be found at fortworthtexas.gov water education seminars. I know that's a lot of slashes, but it's worth it. Patrick and I had a great discussion on water conservation from a horticulturalist's point of view. Gardening in this part of the state can be pretty challenging, as I found out the hard way when I moved here and killed my entire herb garden. Guys, I had a beautiful herb garden when I lived in Houston. Everything I planted grew like crazy, and I never had to do anything to it. Here, it's a much different story. If you're like me, you'll need all the help you can get. Patrick gives a lot of great tips on saving water and money in your garden, which is good since planting season is right around the corner. I'm going to use these tips and start another garden since mine last one tragically died. Anyway, Patrick can be found on Twitter at at PatrickH2Escape, and the AgriLife Water University can be found at at AgriLifeWaterU. A huge thanks to Patrick for taking some time to talk with me and for showing me around their beautiful new facility. Remember to subscribe to the podcast, and if you haven't already, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It'll help us spread the word and... I'll read the review on an episode and maybe even, if you're lucky, make fun of your username. Now, on to the show. Yeah. Okay. And I'm just going to keep these on for a few minutes. Um, just make sure everything sounds good and then I'll probably just take them off. Uh, okay. Because I can't wear my glasses. And those. <laughs> yeah. And I need, to, I need those to read. So, um, okay. Yeah. So you want to... Yeah, sure. I'm Patrick Dickinson with Texas A&M AgriLife Research Water University team. Uh, so we are a team of horticulturalists, and we focus primarily on water efficiency in the landscape, um, where we know that we spend or use the most of our resources, including water. Um, so I've spent about 15 years in the industry, landscaping and uh, designing and managing before I came to AgriLife. I've been with AgriLife now. I'm pushing my seventh year. And yeah. so it's, uh, and there's still a lot of work to be done. So yeah. I don't feel like seven years is near enough time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's good. I can tell you've been on TV. Oh, yeah. <laughs> before. Um, can you just describe the path to becoming a horticulturalist for Water University? Sure. You like? know, uh, as a horticulturalist, I have a degree in horticulture. Um, and then a lot more experience is made in the field. Um, that's where I think most people in any industry will get the most experience. So experience is really appreciated. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have my bachelor's in horticulture. I'm also a licensed irrigator and a rainwater harvesting specialist. So there's a lot of other certifications that come with that as well. Um, and then my colleague also uh, is a horticulturalist. And my other colleague, who we just, unfortunately, she just retired. was also a horticulturalist. So what a horticulturalist is, is we are, think of it as landscape experts. You have landscape architects that do a lot more of the design, the AutoCAD. Uh, We focus um, on more about the plant and the installation. And I'm also a designer, so I appreciate that. But it it starts with college, but then again, I think think experience speaks volumes. Yeah. Well, why do plants even need water anyway? Well, like all living things, we need water. Uh, And so... The thing about it is, is the right plants for the right place 
we focus on introducing what we call native adaptive plants to mm -hmm. our area, um, acting um, like the area you live in. So if I moved to Phoenix, I'd be choosing a different plant palette. If yeah. I moved up to New England, I'd be choosing a different plant palette. Here in North Texas, we also have a different plant palette. And so it's, um, it's important for us to choose the right plants so we're using less resources. So minimizing how much water. If we're planting the right plants, native adaptives, we know they utilize less water and less chemicals. So therefore, we, have to, we don't have to put as much supplemental water out there, which mm -hmm. most people know as sprinklers or irrigation. Sure. So less water is key. Yeah. What do you think is the most meaningful part of your job? When people get it. When that light bulb moment for people that sit through our seminars, whether they be a professional or a homeowner, when they get it and they understand it, yeah. and then they take those practices and they use them and they understand it. It's like learning how to be sustainable or learning how a big of an impact things like recycling have. Um, it's once you understand how big of an impact is to be more efficient in the landscape and saving that precious water for our use and consumption, mm -hmm. when that light bulb moment happens or somebody messages us and tells us, hey, I did this, and they send us a picture, that makes it meaningful. That makes our job worthwhile. Yeah. Is saving water in our in our lawns and our yards is that different than conserving it anywhere else? Uh, not necessarily. I think that we have to look at it in the bigger picture. The reason we're trying to save water is if you if you listen to it in a lot of our programs, we call the state of water in Texas, mm. where we talk about our what we have, how we get it, how how it pumps to the tap, and then we look at our consumption of that water indoors and outdoors, which we now know that as in the upwards of 50 to 60% of our water, our precious water that comes from municipalities ends up outdoors. Yeah. When that is meant for us, um, that is why it's so important. But the same thing falls on the inside. How much water we're using, what toilet you have that's flushing, how long of a shower are you taking? But the Water Sense program at the EPA has handled that and done a great job at that. Mm -hmm. So we have low flow, low flow fixtures throughout the whole home that have made a, a drastic difference, almost to the point where we really can't improve any further than we yeah. already have. So we've made the improvement on the inside, but yet we neglected the outside. Mm -hmm. And so now we've got to change our focus and go, okay, now we've got to fix this. If we can fix that whole picture, then we'll be doing a lot better. Yeah. If you could tell someone just one thing to save water on their landscape, what would that one thing be? Well, you know, I think the first thing that pops into my head is in a lot of my classes, I use an old quote that I grew up with my grandparents. And it was, um, the best fertilizer is a gardener's shadow. And what that means is that you have to be present. You have to be present to see when there's a problem, if something needs to be fixed, whether it be a pest, a broken sprinkler head, wasting thousands of gallons of water. Mm -hmm. And I also encourage a lot of people, I know we have a lot of smart controllers, we have a lot of ET controllers, all this fancy stuff, but for the general homeowner, I think back in the day when we used to set the kitchen timer and move the water hose around the landscape, mm -hmm. we were more efficient because we had eyes on the water, yeah. we saw that water running down the storm drain as our money, yeah. um, but now with the automatic sprinkler, we've kind of spoiled ourselves, just like with the TV remote and the cell phone. Sure. And so I think that if we could put eyes back on the landscape even operating those automatic controllers manually. We would see if there's a problem. We wouldn't let it run ridiculous hours of the day. Um, so I think being present is the best advice I can give. Mm -hmm. um, and if you're not familiar with that, or if you struggle with you don't know how to operate your controller, that's what we're here for. Yeah. We have classes, all, and you can go to our website, wateruniversity.tamu.edu, and we host classes with City of Fort Worth, every city in North Texas, throughout the state, um, over 20 different programs, 
whether it be lawn care or efficient sprinklers or even vegetable gardening or rainwater harvesting, there's really no excuse now. If you want to have that nice landscape, we have to be efficient with it. So you have to be a better educated consumer and you have to um, uh, empower yourself to get out there and learn that information to do it properly because we know that as water becomes not scarce, when water becomes more precious, mm -hmm. okay, we know that we're going to probably get the same amount of average rainfall, but our population is going to over double in the state of Texas alone. Wow. Yeah. When we know that, when we have the same water supply, that means we are going to go into being more efficient with that water. And we know that that water is meant for us, for bathing, for cooking, for drinking. The first thing that's going to get knocked off that list when time <laughs> comes is going to be the outdoors. Yeah. So you want to have the right landscape, know the right practices to make that work because it's not necessarily a uh, lack of moisture around your landscape is, yes, bad for the plants, but it's also bad for your foundation. Mm. And so oh, sure. we, we have to look at the bigger picture. So we say being better soil moisture managers, maintaining a good level of moisture, which doesn't necessarily come with running a sprinkler. It's practices like mm. uh, raising your mower to hold moisture longer to your lawn, mulching in your flower beds. There's maintenance practices that help accomplish that. It's not just putting water on the landscape. Yeah. What's the question you get asked the most as a horticulturalist? What's my favorite plant? Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's probably the same. And then also, what is a horticulturalist? <laughs> Most, I mean, a lot of people don't, they hear horticulturalists and they're like, uh, they don't have any idea that that relates to plants at all. Sure. So I think those are the two most common questions I get. Yeah. Um, I have a lot of favorite plants is the yeah. problem, whether it be indoor, whether it be outdoor, uh, whatever it may be. I think one of my favorites is the budlia, which is the butterfly bush. There's so many different hmm. uh, species of that. And uh, from every color now, we have a yellow one. So I think that's probably one of my favorites. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Could we really grow plants on Mars, like in the Martian? Well, you know, I think NASA is still trying to figure that out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I love that movie. It was uh, to see that plant aspect brought into a movie mm -hmm. like that for survival. Was, yeah. That and was they were really so exciting. important. To yes. Him, yeah. Yeah, and how it was done. Mm -hmm. You know, I felt bad for him when he ran out of his ketchup. But yeah. <laughs> uh, the, I, I don't know. I think that that's something unless you're there and putting your hands in the soil and we know there's water now. So mm -hmm. there's the potential for plant life. There's a potential for all life now yeah. that there's water. So I don't know. I think it's going to, we'll have to see how it plays out. Yeah. Yeah. It's exciting times. Oh, it is. Yeah. yeah. And then have you heard about the, the Chinese thing with the cotton plants? Yeah. And I watched I, that and I followed it with the plants and I, uh, you know, maybe I didn't read enough to understand why that was necessary. Yeah. Um, but I was a little sad when they froze. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but to see a plant growing on the moon yeah. um, and seeing that footage of it actually on the moon, and it, that was fascinating. Yeah. It kind of goes back to that Mars question, you know, could it happen? Um, we know that the moon is very different than Mars. It doesn't have an atmosphere and mm -hmm. all that good stuff. But um, so I'm not quite sure what the necess necessity of that was. But yeah. You know, I'm not the scientist doing yeah. that study. Well, I just read about it this morning before I came over. Somebody told me about it, and then I was like, well, maybe I could ask them. That has plants. Yeah. And I think they were trying to see, I don't know, the viability of growing it in a, uh, forget the word for it, like a, like a station on the moon. Oh, yeah. Like, uh, <clears throat> I can't think of the word. Anyway. International Space Station. That, yeah. yeah. Which, and, and I, I guess I get that, too. And that kind of... It kind of, the principles they were also using were very similar to like what we're testing now with the hydroponics, the mm -hmm. vertical farming. Yeah. Um, and so I guess, 
you know, going back to those movies like Mars and um, uh, the one whatever with uh, Matthew McConaughey where they have to build a station because <laughs> the planet's dying, that sort of thing. I guess it's worth just finding out if it's possible to have yeah. a backup plan. I'm, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Couldn't hurt. Yeah. Um, maybe this is obvious, but in your opinion, what makes Texas such a difficult environment to grow certain plants in? We have extreme elements. Uh, and we've experienced that from, I mean, over especially the past decade uh, with our record-breaking drought, mm -hmm. followed by record-breaking rainfall. 2015 and 2018 are now number one and number two record rainfalls. Oh, wow. uh, we had a, a week in 2015 where we had 18 inches of rain, which for a lot of our natives, they rotted because they don't like that. We had flooding, you know, all yeah. over the state. And then you follow that up with a drought. And so, and then of course our heat, you know, we had, we had a, a pretty, in my opinion, mild summer the mm -hmm. past few summers. Um, but you know, you look back at even 1980, that's our record summer mm -hmm. uh, with the heat. Um, it's just the extremes that we have. We go from one to the next. So the old joke is you go to work with the free, with the heater on cause you're freezing. Yeah. And by the time you leave for work, you have a t-shirt on and the air conditioner blowing. Yeah. That's a reality <laughs> that is true. here in North Texas. And then we also have, um, such a large diverse plant palette, not necessarily because we're planting the right plants, but because we've introduced a lot of the mm. plants. Um, so you go to Austin area, places like that, the cedars bust out. Um, and people are just screaming about their allergies mm -hmm. and you can see it. It looks yeah. like smoke over the trees. <laughs> um, ours are a little bit more inconspicuous, the pollens. We have a lot more pollens uh, than other parts of the state. And so that's why Dallas has been known to be kind of the allergy capital of yeah. Texas. And it's because we have such a diverse plant palette. Yeah. Um, and we also get um, bombarded with some of the dust from West Texas. I mean, there's a lot of factors that get pulled into that. Yeah. Um, and we do have cedars. You don't see them as much in the urban environment, mm. um, as well as other pollutants. You're, you have to remember our urban environment's getting real tight. And so we have other pollutants that aren't plant introduced mm -hmm. um, that affect people's allergies as well. Yeah. What do you find is the most difficult thing about convincing people to save water? Well, I think that there's sadly some responses that we get that can in some moments feel discouraging for us and what we do. Um, I've had people say, you know, that we'll always have water coming out of the tap. Somebody mm -hmm. else will figure it out. Yeah. It's somebody else's problem to figure out. Yeah. I don't know anything about it, but it'll always come out of the tap. So I think that magic water that will always come out of the tap, but they don't realize the infrastructure and the manpower and the water needed to make that mm -hmm. happen. So there's that. And then our, our, our water situation, the state of water, again, I don't like to call it a water shortage because we're no longer in a water storage. Yeah. Now that our lakes are full, we should be even more efficient to make it last longer. Mm -hmm. um, uh, when we do run low, like we did in 2014, um, a lot of people think it's a conspiracy. <laughs> they don't believe it's true. <laughs> they don't think yeah. that um, the fact that the lakes are dropping below half that that's not an issue. That's wow. our primary water supply in North Texas. Yeah. Down in South Texas and San Antonio, they have aquifers that they can depend on. But even those started getting measured and um, watched because they were the water was being deplenished so quickly. It's not a conspiracy. You can physically go look at a lake level and see that that lake was down by six feet yeah. and that it's not holding the water it should. Lake Travis, 
people's uh, docks were being dried up. The water is pulling back so mm. far. So it's a visual thing. There's no conspiracy yeah. here. <laughs> that is our water supply that goes into those pipes. So if you ever question it, drive out to Lake Levon in here in North Texas. See that lake level whenever they say there's a shortage. But yeah. they're, they're all at 100%. So our conservation message, if you will, um, is a little bit harder to preach when we have water. Yeah. Um, but our we change our focus to trying to emphasize to people that it's even more important for us to make the water we have last. Yeah. So our, our message just changes a little bit. I've had plenty of people come up to me at events and, you know, we're ch- telling them about our watering schedule, our, our yeah. watering days, and they say stuff, they get a little bit hostile and they yeah. say, I pay for the water, I can water any day I want. So there's a little bit of an attitude of, you know, you can't tell me what to do. I know what's best for me. Um, so yeah, it's, it's hard to, to fight that, I guess. Yeah. And that's why we change our terminology a little bit. You know, when we say conservation, which I know every uh, city in the state has a conservation manager, yeah. people get defensive about conservation. Like, don't tell mm. me I can't use my water. Mm. Like you're saying. So that's why in a lot of our publications and our programs, we say efficiency. We're not telling you not to use your water. We're just trying to get you to use it more efficiently because there is a greater good, not just you, but a larger population (laughs) that also benefits from that. So we're sharing this water. So I would say that attitude is a really poor attitude um, because you're only looking at yourself. It's very selfish, Mm -hmm. but we all depend on that water. And so we all have to treat it as if there is somebody on that other end that needs it. Absolutely. Do you have any books that you would recommend to people who are interested in gardening in Texas? You know, I will say this. There are so many books out there, like like a lot of topics. But when you get into like landscaping or horticulture, um, I would direct people towards some of the books that just show you the beauty of nature. Um, there's um, some great books out there, including one on like Texas champion trees. Hmm. Until you read or go see those trees. And we have a couple here on our campus. Um, you don't really appreciate and they're all. Um, and a big turning point, surprisingly for me, even after doing all these years, sometimes we get focused on saying the same message over and over. Yeah. We get a little tunnel vision and sometimes we need a little bit of a, a revamp, uh, is traveling to the redwoods of Northern California hmm. until you see those giants that yeah. are 2,500 years old, 400 feet tall with like 56 foot circumferences. You don't uh, have any clue. You know, and so I think that I would encourage people to try to find the beauty in it. Try to find the beauty in the nature, um, and maybe that will inspire you to do the right thing in your landscape. Um, Texas has got some beautiful different environments and different regions, uh, even down to just the mesquite trees going out further west uh, to some of the bigger pine trees down into uh, the east part and even through Houston enjoy look at nature yeah be inspired and there's some great books out there i have some wonderful coffee table books that the pages fold out three pages just to Mm. show you the magnitude of trees and i i look at those every once in a while just to kind of rejuvenate myself and so i would encourage people to start there and then there's great books uh there's native um uh, books on just native landscaping if you want to do that Mm. pollinator books to narrow that down to one book i I, that would be hard for me to do um and i think that we have some great uh uh, you know uh, facilities wetlands all around us that their bookstores uh, carry some great literature as well um but yeah i can't and some great websites including ours (laughs) but there's some great websites out there also john bunker sands has um, some really good information out there Um, so i would encourage people to do that 
if if you could have people who listen to this podcast remember one thing, what do you think that one thing would be? I hope they take that message, like I said, of being a better soil moisture manager. Because I think that if you can learn how to hold moisture longer in your landscape, that's less supplemental water you have to put out. Yeah. And if we could all do that and change that 50 to 60% um, to less, we're saving that water for us. Yeah. Um, I would hope that that would be the message. The same thing about uh, being present again in the landscape. Don't just set that controller and walk away and leave it set like that year round. You could be doing summer watering programs right now. And the other message I would tell people is your automatic controllers do not need to be on right now. Turn them off. Yeah. Save yourself some money, save all of us the water, and then wait to hear from your municipality, like Fort Worth or somebody to say, hey, you know what? It's been a little dry. Now be the time to start looking to see if you need a water. Sure. You know, start being involved if that is something that you care about in the landscape. And so I would say turn off your controllers and pay attention to the moisture in your soil. So now we'll get to the movie question. Okay. Um, uh, if you had to pick one movie to live inside of, what would that movie be? And hopefully you've been thinking about it. <sighs> or maybe, maybe I'll take a guess. Okay. If that's okay. All right. I'm going to guess that you're going to say Little Shop of Horrors because there's <laughs> the, because of the plant. Now I'm going to have those songs stuck in my head. Uh, <laughs> no, I wouldn't say Little Shop of Horror. Um, there was actually, and I was trying to remember the name of it, but there was a great, and it was also because I was a little bit jealous. There was a, a great movie with Reese Witherspoon, and she did the Pacific Coast Trail. And Wild? Yes. Okay. And um, that was something that I had always, and like, anticipated doing mm -hmm. after graduating high school and even after graduating college. Yeah. Um, and I never did. And so I think that that whole element of, uh, being out in nature and reconnecting. Um, and there's a lot of other movies that have that same message. Um, and that's based on a true story. Yeah. Um, man, to take an adventure like that, everybody take an adventure like that. I think it would make you appreciate our outdoors um, in different areas, especially yeah. like enjoying one area to the next and the different, um, uh, regions and microclimates that we have. And, um, it might make you appreciate and do more efficient practices and do the right thing in your own landscape. Yeah. That's what I would say. But I, I'm also a little jealous of that movie wild, like to go 90 days, like disconnect, be out in nature. Um, I think now that we all, have those, you know, well, what if I had done this or I should have done that? Yeah. Um, to have that disconnect and now as an adult and being in, the, in, you know, working so much, it almost makes you like yearn for doing something like that, mm -hmm. just disconnecting. Yeah. So I do that every once in a while. I set my phone, cell phone aside and don't look at it for 24 hours or yeah. something like that. And that's nice. It's hard, <laughs> yeah. but it's hard because we're, I jokingly tell people that we're such a connected society, but yet at the same time, so disconnected mm -hmm. because we're always looking at a screen. And so I, yeah, I would say that would be my pick. Yeah. That's wow. a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Not what I guessed. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, little little shop of horror. So yeah, but that's that's funny that you you thought about. It. I grew up seeing that movie and watching that movie, and uh, yeah, that song. That's yeah, yeah. <laughs> little shop of horror. And then was it suddenly Seymour? I mean, all yeah. those songs start popping in my I, head now. So yeah, I get them stuck in my head. I haven't seen that movie in I don't know how long, but no. they'll pop in my head. So that's it. And um, oh man. Thank you very much yes, for having me over for, here. Thank, thank you for letting us get the message out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's it. Awesome.